Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Anastasia Button, hashtag millennial girl, author of the published book, Hashtag new job, new life. The millennials take charge plan for success. Anastasia's pain became her purpose in life to help others find their purpose so they can obtain a career or start a business that is authentically life fulfilling. She does this in all sorts of avenues, but primarily through her work as a consultant in businesses to help their multi-generational differences be resolved so they can be more productive and lower their turnover rates with younger staff members. Connecting the gaps is where she thrives most. So I've asked her to join us here today so we can figure out how to better navigate this multi-generational online tech savvy world. So Anastasia, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Right. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. And I just love, I love dealing with ambitious people and people that want to make a difference in the world because I feel like they're, you know, we watch these zombie movies and I feel like in some ways we do live in a zombie apocalypse where there's a lot of people that are just either living life with blinders on or like their goal is just like to get through the day versus make something of it. So anytime someone's out to accomplish something, I just want to help them. And I think you've got a great mission. So now, what were you doing before you came into this? Like, yeah. Oh, man, I was a roofing contractor. Really? Really? <laughs> and for those who are not quite sure what that is, I uh, I was knocking on doors. So I was a door salesman. And I would try to sell roofs to people who had hail damage. And it was a miserable existence. I mean, no one wants to open the door <laughs> to you. And when they do, they slam the door in your face. Mm-hmm. And so no one wanted to work with me. I didn't want to work with me. It was a miserable existence. And I was flat broke. I was broke because it wasn't because I wasn't putting effort or I could make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever you want to call that. I was broke because my heart and soul wasn't into what I was doing. Mm. And so I went down this trail and and uh, of loneliness and suffering. And I decided that enough of that, I'm going to stop doing that. And my enlightenment happened when I was standing on top of a roof here in Denver, Colorado. And I was looking at the beautiful mountains and I realized life just sucked so bad. I just want to jump off this roof figuratively. And so I I decided I was going to do that. So I figuratively jumped off that roof and I really just climbed down a ladder. And I said, (laughs) I'm going to find what my purpose in life is. And I'm going to do just that. And the money will come. And the money has come. The purpose has come. And life is so fulfilling. I love it. And that's my my mission is to help people to gain that into their lives as well. And, And forgive me, but can I ask, how old are you? I'm 29. So, okay, oh, 29. Okay, got it. Because I'm like, some people don't figure that out until like their 40s or 50s. I'm 34. 
And I just feel like so many people, they just spend, they don't get that. They, what you said is so brilliant. It's so brilliant. Just in terms of, like you said, I'm going to do what I want. Like what I, that voice inside me tells I should be doing and the money will come. Like that's such a powerful statement. And so many people get trapped in this, in this life where they just, they, they work a job they hate to make enough money, hoping that one day they'll save up enough that they can do what they really want. And it's just, they teach their kids to do the same thing. Hey, you got to work. You got to become an accountant. You got to become a, and there's nothing wrong with being an accountant or a lawyer or any of those, right? I mean, if you enjoy them, if you find passion in the service or if in any of that part of that work, but if you just do something like you say, where you hate your existence and you're going through it, so many people just get stuck in that. And they're like, one day I'll escape this. And that's just a terrible existence. I mean, life is so short. Why do anything other than chase your dreams and live life on your terms? Is it going to be easy? No, right? Are you going to have obstacles and setbacks? Yes. But you're going to do have this exact same experience doing something you hate. So why wouldn't you just choose something you love? So I just love that so much. And you just sound so youthful and just, I don't know, just so many people spend their lives and it takes them forever to figure that out. So I'm just, that is so, 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 so awesome. So now what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced on your path to getting there? Like from between making that decision and having to change and then getting to where now you, you know, you get to embrace life, you make an income doing what you love and life is kind of like a playground. Well, in the beginning, it actually became very simple. And I think Will Smith in an interview once upon a time, he said, and I think it's accurate that when you really hone in on what you want and you put it out to the universe, to God, or what is important to you, the universe just kind of moves aside and delivers it to you. And I became so clear on who I was, what I wanted and what my purpose was. So in the beginning, things started coming to me fairly easily. I started getting speaking gigs. I found a publisher. He said, hey, let's write your book. And I said, okay. And so, you know, it started going very easy in the beginning. And then, and this is what happens to a lot of my clients and what I see a lot in the world is that, you know, the excitement happens, things start moving, but then fear starts to sit in again. And when fear comes back, because it's always going to be there, it always cycles back into your life. And it started to cycle back into my life. And so the fear of not being good enough is mm. my primary fear. Mm. And so I started getting speaking gigs and I started, you know, connecting with some high profile people. And I started to feel the pressure of, what if they don't like me? What if I'm not good enough? And so that started to be a lot of obstacles in front of me because my fear started setting in again, I'm putting it out to the universe and, and to God. And so it started delivering me what I was thinking about. And so, yeah, so I had a few obstacles here and there, but you know, I really found a process to blow through them. I hate it when people say, let's, let's overcome your obstacles. Let's go around your obstacles. And I'm just going, no, let's blow through the mothers. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so I started doing that. And I actually put that into my book as well, because once you find your purpose, it's all exciting and great, but then there's going to be a point where the fear comes in and it's always going to be there. And you just have to find the tools to blow through them. And so I started blowing through them. I didn't overcome them. I didn't go around them. I didn't go under them. I didn't run away from them. I decided to blow through them like a bulldozer and that's what I did and it has served me well and it has served my clients well and so the obstacles were my own it wasn't a lot of you know this the world was not giving me what I wanted the world was giving me what I asked right we'll give you everything you asked for so what's your process for blowing through obstacles well, you definitely have to know your primary purpose in life because you need to know yourself before you can understand what you're afraid of. 
And so once you're able to do that, and I have 20 questions to where you can find your purpose, but then we go into what is your primary fear? Now, primary fears, you can kind of boil it down to two. And there's, there's wiggle room in there. But the two primary fears in life is I am not good enough or I am not loved. And so you can basically put yourself into each category and they kind of bounce between each other as well. But when you're able to identify that primary fear, you first have to identify the enemy before you know how to overcome them or to blow through them, as I put Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when you do that, then you can create a trigger system, as I call it. Now, this is where you really need to bring in your physical side to connect with your brain, because our fear loves to breed itself in the brain. And that's where people get very analytical. They think too much and then fear sets in and they don't do anything. <laughs> that never happens. What? <laughs> that never happens. Yeah. So once you're able to identify what's happening in your brain, you know, all of a sudden you're saying, I can't do this or they won't like me or any of those statements, then you're going, Oh, this is fear coming in again. And then you have a trigger system. And so for me, I do some deep breaths with my hands on my chest and it's just to connect myself to, to ground myself. And so I teach this to my clients as well. And it serves them very well to ground themselves, to get present again into your body and not your mind, because we need to start feeling instead of thinking. And so when you feel inspired, when you feel excited, when you feel good, that is when things start being attracted to you. No one wants to be attracted to brooding and suffering. And so if you think about it, you feel better and people around you feel better. And so the universe delivers what you wish. And so if you can get back into that place and stop being in your head where it's full of fear, that's really when it starts to happen. So you blow through those obstacles. And with practice, with that trigger system I've created, you begin to blow through your obstacles faster, quicker, and you're able to identify them more often. Mm. So well said, so well said. And I think that's true. Fear was, what is it? It is fear, false evidence appearing real, I think is one. Yes. Right? Because <laughs> we build up these huge imaginations. And it's so funny because like you said, it just, it does, it grows and festers until there's a wildfire going on in your head. And you're like, oh my gosh, if because I missed that phone call, the world's going to end. This is going to happen. And you create this whole domino effect like thing. And you just, it just, yeah, it just really gets out of control. So that's a great, great, great tip, I think, for everyone. And it happens to people all stages of life, all levels of success. I think that's really powerful. So what would you recommend anyone who's in this phase of their life where they're struggling and they're just kind of starting on embracing a path of living the, their authentic life? Be present in that moment and with the vision that you have for yourself. See, you can have all sorts of things in life. You know, you could wish, and I I get this all the time with new clients, where they wish they had the mansion and the brand new Escalade and all those great glory and shiny objects. And I have to ask them, well, what, how does the, how do those things, if you were to have them today, how would they make you feel? Hmm. And people lose sight of that. Uh They think if I have these things, then I'm going to feel important. I'm going to feel needed. I'm going to feel, feel, feel. And then this is where we come back into, you want to feel this way. Do you need a brand new Escalade for that? Uh And so we start to move away from the materialistic items and we start to go into who are you and what do you really want to feel and be a representation to the world and your legacy? And that's really all we want to know is, am I important? And am I, am I creating an impact? Will people remember me? Will people think I am needed? And so this is where we really come into 
getting into that purpose because the purpose is what's going to be fulfilling. It's not the things that mm-hmm. come with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that's so well said because, you know, like even money, money, just like having a big pile of gold in your room isn't going to make you happy. You might be excited at first because of all the things you imagine that it's going to protect you from or provide you with. But really, at the end of the day, it's you can't you can hug it like you're just rubbing it against a <laughs> rock. Like it's not like you like you just. I don't see anyone out there hugging trees and humping them, you know, like that's not providing them any happiness. It's really, like you said, it's like, what is it? Becoming is becoming is better than being. Cause when you are Absolutely. something, the only thing you can do is stagnate. But if you're becoming something, now you have a journey, you have a purpose, a destination. If there's a meaning to life, it's growth. If you take a look around, everything grows. Everything's mm-hmm. trying to grow and reproduce, which is another form of growth. It's a continuation of your existence in some way, shape or form. So if you don't have that, if you don't have something you're tied to, you're striving for, you're passionate about, you, f- you feel life like lot like listless. You just have a lack of energy. You've got no drive, no purpose. And it's so funny because I actually went through this with a client. She had a goal of she wanted to 10x her business income, which is already already pretty substantial by the vast majority of people's standards. And after some deep diving, she realized that the financial goal had no meaning in her life and that like it was just like it was something she was supposed to do and set. And really her own life goals and missions had nothing to do with that. And just by some adjusting of that, she found out she was getting the growth that she had kind of hoped for in her business, but it was by tying into a greater purpose, you know, like a reason to wake up in the morning, reason to give your all every day and to go to bed exhausted and be like proud when you put your head on it. This was me yesterday. I was so proud of my day yesterday when I went to bed. I had such a great sleep last night in Stasia because yesterday I gave it my all and all sorts of capacities. And I was like, man, I need to have more days like this. And, uh, you know, it's just on and off. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, you got to think like if you put your, your value, your personal value to a number or to a certain amount of items and you never reach that number, you never reach those items. And you're solely focused that my value represents millions of dollars and that value is represented to the world. I will only be valuable if I represent a million dollars. And that's not true at all. And so once you're able to make that disconnect, that the value comes with the world wanting you, not your million dollars. And so to make that connection, to realize purpose is more meaningful and fulfilling than the dollar sign. And people lose sight of that because who do they see that is important? They see these celebrities, they see politicians, they see entrepreneurs who are on stage and on the screen. But the the weird thing is, is that they don't realize that those entrepreneurs aren't entirely focused on the dollar side and they are entirely focused on their mission and their projects. And when you start really focusing that you are connected to your purpose and to your projects as an extension of your purpose, that's when the universe and that's when people start to be attracted to you because no longer do you look at them as well as a dollar sign. You look at them with their purpose. Mm, mm, well said. I think it's important to talk about goal setting because it's kind of what we're talking about is setting some types of goals. And there's three types of goals. Anyone listening to this needs to be aware of. And people tend to prefer one over the other. But there's performance goals, there's outcome goals, and there's process goals. So a process goal is like day to day. Like I have a checklist personally, just what do I, what habits, what do I need to do on a daily basis to form the habits to be and have, be the person I want to be and have the life I want to have and go in the direction I want to go. So I have a daily checklist of like, did I do this, 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 right? 
And that's a process goal. That's an every day-to-day process. Then you have the outcome goal. So obviously the outcome goal for some of these is I want to achieve certain uh, certain accomplishments by, you know, I want to achieve certain milestones by certain dates. That's an outcome goal. By doing this for three months, six months, nine months, four years, seven, whatever, right, I want this to be the outcome. And then the third type of goal is a performance. And that's how you want to, like, when you push, you know, like, Exercise is an easy one because it's it's easy to everyone can kind of relate to that. But that's like a performance. When you go and you compete, you, your outcome goal might be you want to win. But performance wise, do you want to meet all your PRs? If you've got a four minute mile, do you want to run, you know, a four minute mile or better? Like that's the performance goals. I know I'm capable of X. So I want to perform at what, you know, my full potential for this period of time. And so those are the three types of goals. And so I think like what you said, when we talk about those things, if you're not engaged, if you don't have those, if you're not enlightened, if you're, it's just, if you're climbing the wrong ladder up the wrong wall, it's not going to lead to happiness and fulfillment. That's for sure. Or climbing up the ladder and standing on the runway. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Absolutely. what do you feel now we talk about the millennial gap or, or the generational gap? How does that come into play? How does that affect a lot of this? How is, yeah, I'm going to shut up. Well, you go into <laughs> well when you go into an office and you kind of see the environment. I mean, there are certain businesses that you walk into and you see various amount of employees with various generation differences, and you you distinctively feel something when you walk into that business. And as a customer, as an employee, you feel great, you feel mediocre, or you just say this sucks because there is a certain culture that is bred within that business. And so, what I personally, with my purpose in life is when I go into these businesses to help them understand millennials and multi-generations and how do we get everybody to be on the same page, communicate and be the most productive. It's kind of like a sneak attack in a way, because I am helping the business owner in the productivity, lowering turnover rates and heightening profits. But what I'm also doing is I'm really honing in on the workforce and I'm helping them access their purpose and what gives them fulfilling and what gives them meaning in that company. And when you have a thriving workforce that has purpose and meaning behind it on the individual and as a group, the culture changes. And when that culture changes, it goes straight to the customer. And the customer feels that when you walk into Walmart, you're going to feel very different than when you walk into Target and they serve the same type of items but it feels different to you and you prefer to go to one over the other. And so that is what I do for companies is I create a culture from the individual to be thriving amongst themselves to transcend that to the customer. And so, you know, you can think of all sorts of different businesses that do this. Apple is one of them. Microsoft is another one. And IBM has just had a renaissance within their culture and they are rising stars. And so is General Electric. I mean, these are conglomerate people that realize that they need to hone in on their workforce to let them access their purpose in life so that they, as an individual, are doing the most of their best. And so that serves the company, which serves the customer, which serves everyone. So it's kind of a win-win-win. You serve the employer, you serve the workforce, and you serve the customer. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's well said. People do better when they're playing to their strengths. So I think that that's, Mm -hmm. yeah, and fulfilled people. I mean, I think even back in ancient Egypt, when they were building the pyramids, from what we can tell from the, the hieroglyphics, they had one of the first performance incentives where if you worked harder, you got more leisurely time off, you got better lodging and access to more food. And if you didn't work hard, you didn't get that. And then if you were sick or injured or weak, they took care of you. 
to nurse you back up so you could get back in the race. And then it was, it was a hierarchy thing and it was compared to your peers. And so I think that that's a great incentive program. And it kind of makes sense. Like if you do most of the work, then you should enjoy the rewards. You know, like this, this comes, you know, in some way at some fundamental level, this comes back to the, honestly, between, we could even go into the debate between democracy or capitalism versus socialism because one is about freedom and the other one is about equality and it's it's interesting because communism they want everything to be equal but the people who are superior in certain skill sets they want to be they want to be able to reap the rewards of all their hard work it's like if you've ever been on a part of a team project you don't feel like the other team members are carrying their weight and you know and that's going to affect you you feel like that's not fair i've done my share I shouldn't have to suffer. And that's the battle. But then you have in free in a free society, you've got inequality because by nature, the market's going to reward the excellence. And so it's kind of this oscillation between the two. And it sounds like you're kind of playing this game inside companies, trying to help them recognize people who and, and keep people and build a team. Because maybe when you go through and you help some of these people kind of tap into their wants, their needs, their desires, and find a way to fulfill that through their work. For some people, it may not be possible in that company, right? They may not be dry. And that's a good thing because you need to get that person to move on to somewhere where they can be fulfilled and put someone in that place that will be rewarded from that work and will want to achieve their best. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Well put. So what do you see are a lot of mistakes that you see business owners and entrepreneurs making? They are not in their business in terms of connecting with their people. So we have this, you know, corner office on the top level of the the building, let's say, and they're very disconnected to the people in the mailroom. And so what happens is that they think that this needs to happen in the marketplace, but they have absolutely no idea how to communicate that to their leaders to motivate and to drive their workforce to the highest productive levels. And so what happens is that it always starts from the top because that's where the vision comes from. That's kind of where the command comes from. That's where the direction of the company comes from. And if you're not connected to who is in your company based off of generations and what are their values? I mean, baby boomers tend to, not all the time, but tend to have different values in life and what they want out of work than millennials or Gen Z and, and Gen X. And so everyone is different in terms of what they find value in their workplace, how they communicate with everyone else. And if you don't understand the ratio between the millennials and boomers, Gen X and Gen Z, then you don't really know your company. You don't really know what your workforce is is motivated by. And so we have these C-suite people who say, let's do this, let's do this, let's do that. Okay, barking orders, go do it. But they aren't communicating with people at the lowest levels. If you look at, um, I love Jerry V over in New York of Jerry Vaynerchuk. He actually will talk to um, just about every employee on a one-on-one, just like a quick 15 minutes every month. Mm. And he is asking, Hey, what are you struggling with? What are you excited about? What's going on with you? And you know, the CEO doesn't have to do this, but what he's doing is he is connecting the gaps between the C-suite and the lowest levels of the company. And when you do that, communication and an idea of what's going on in your company is paramount because now you can resolve problems, you can make things more productive and you can change your plans. And how does, how does experience play into this? Cause you're, and there are life stages, like that's two different things. One, it comes down to experience and the other is life stages. So for example, I can think of three teens of different age and my family relatives of mine. And it's funny that the youngest one, because she's had more experience living independently, she has a different perspective than the older two who have still been at home. That's an experience issue. But then you talk about baby boomers and millennials and, you know, and they've, they're different phases of life. 
how does that play in to set like the communication roles? Because if you've got someone that's, you know, fairly young, they're coming into the company and they're, you know, and they don't have a ton of experience and they're at a different stage of life versus again, you know, like how, how does that affect how a community should, how a company operates? Does that determine, I don't even know the legalities of this, but does that affect how they should hire, you know, or how they should op, how they should position incentives and bonuses and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of programs that myself and actually a person that I've been working with, he is a baby boomer himself and I'm the millennial. And we are starting to go into companies together and we are creating dual mentorship programs. So this is what happens when you go into a workforce is sometimes they may even have a mentorship program. You know, the experience, the the people that have been there for 20 plus years or in the industry are translating that knowledge down to the greenhorn so that the knowledge stays in the company. Whether that's enforced or not by the company is a question, but let's say that they are enforced. Okay. So we have a, let's say, you know, baby boomer, cause they're at the top of the working force right now. And we have a Gen Z, a brand new person who graduated from college this year, which has just happened. It's a 22 um, year old. So we have a, you know, 59 year old talking to a 22 year old. It's basically, you know, father and daughter, father <laughs> and granddaughter. Right. And so there's a, there's a difference in communication. Well, if you have one sided mentorship of just experience, you're not really going to give a lot of relevance to the older generation other than the experience. So you're translating all this experience to the young person who is like, okay, well, I can't use most of that stuff yet because I just started. So what we create is a dual mentorship program to where there is communication and there's mentorship on both sides. The young teaches the older, the older teaches the younger, or that can be just an experience as well. So with that, You are now creating two powerhouses. So it's really important to keep your older generations in your company and hire younger generations to learn from them and vice versa. We want to keep older generations relevant. And by that, I mean, you could say irrelevant. So they are, you know, electronically relevant and they know what's recently going on. They can now Snapchat their Uh grandchildren, you know, things like that. And the older generations are teaching the younger, you know, what do you need to know about this industry? What have I learned about communication? And a lot of those soft skills come into play because a lot of those soft skills have left our world in in different ways. It now looks different. Instead of taking a phone call, you're going to do a video call or a text instead of having the eye contact, belly to belly conversation with, you know, your manager, employer, you're having a video call. I mean, it's it's a different world. And so we are accommodating that. But the soft skills like communication, a friendly personality, all of these things, CEOs are noticing, I don't have enough of that. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. don't. I mean, there was research done recently. It was LinkedIn and I believe the Denver Post here. They did a, a huge survey about, okay, what are CEOs wanting when they hire new talent? And what was not on the list was team building and leadership skills and all these other things that you normally would think would have to go on a resume. What they're looking for are things like, can you talk to your employer? Can you talk to your team? Do you have a friendly personality? Are you, are you flexible to work with? Like soft skills Mm. is their number one Mm. thing that they're looking for. And this is on an international basis in my belief, because we don't, we have this disconnect, you know, the older generations, they have a lot of those soft skills, younger don't, but the younger have a lot of the technological and the new experience skills that they can give to the older. So there's so much communication that can happen and people can benefit from each other 
if they just continue that conversation. Mm, and I, I like how you focus on the exchange there because there is benefit to that. I mean, sure, the, the people who with more experience in that, I mean, I remember when I had a martial arts school, one of the things that we would talk about is having black belt eyes. And so it was about when you have your school, you have to always keep in mind what it's like to be the very first time you walk into the gym. You know, because for the person who's like for someone who's been training for six years or five years or eight years or however many years, right? It's a very different experience to go into a new gym than someone who's never done it before and has no idea what to expect. And that's and both have fantastic points of view. Right. Both have a ton of, of wealth and perspective. To look at it. It's great to have a fresh pair of eyes. Look at something. It's great to sit down with a customer or someone who's brand like first time experience with your business and say, hey, what do you think about our product? Someone who's never used it before and hear that fresh first impression. So there's a lot of value to be had from a younger generation who's coming into something and seeing it with fresh eyes versus someone who's been at it for 15, 20 plus years. You know, because for the person who's done it for 15, 20 plus years, there's a lot of things they take for granted that they don't even realize. And again, on the flip side, people that are brand new, like you said, there's a lot of soft skills or life skills that they need to determine or they need to figure out and how to handle scenarios, how to deal with people, how to negotiate, how to be tactful in certain things, how to manage yourself and your time, just things that they haven't really had to figure out a lot of like, you know, if they just graduated from college, there haven't been those demands on them in the real world. So I like, I like the dual approach. I think that's really, really important. Although you better be careful of those belly to belly meetings with innate for, for HR that that could be an HR <laughs> <laughs> that's why i was laughing right, well they're just gonna video right it, right yeah. no i know i was just, i was joking when you're like the belly to belly meeting with managers i'm like i think that's an hr issue but i don't i don't know anyways <laughs> so what habits do you feel your the most successful businesses with working with cross-generational employees what habits do you feel that they have inside the company I feel like they, again, they like connect that gap between the sea level to the floor. And another great way of, of those habits is just being open to listen. Not You don't have to listen and then do, but to listen is really important. Because, for example, IBM, you know, if, uh, I've said them before. If you think of IBM, you think of, what do you think of, Daryl, when you think of I IBM? I think of IBM. Ooh, well, right now, I mean, the first thing that came to mind was like an army of people in black suits. Was, was That was what I originally <laughs> thought. And I actually experienced that when I was in Japan. I remember when I first lived in Tokyo, I used to catch the first train, which was like 5, 7 a.m. I remember one day I just hung out. I was outside some store. And it, it was like an army of people in black. Like, if you could own the patent to the color black, you would be a bazillionaire because there was just an army of people coming out of that subway station. I guess something like 3 million people go through Shinjuku station every day. But yeah, I don't know. When you said IBM, that was the first impression because they were one of the first corporate entities. But then, uh, of course, next came to mind was old clunky computer. Like, that's what I thought was mm -hmm. like the computer with the screen. It's kind of got static on almost like an old school TV. That's kind of what I thought. Or like the big room with all the big wheels, you know, the big computers. That's kind of what I thought in a lot of ways because they said in a lot of ways they've I don't know. They've kind of not been on the forefront of the scene. I know they really focus on B2B and enterprise level solutions as opposed to, you know, they're not, they're, you're not, you don't have a handheld device from IBM, right? What, what yeah. Aren't well, what would I would, what if I told you that IBM for the last, I think believe it was about the last five years, they have actually created their own millennial core. Hmm. It is called the Millennial Corps, like C-O-R-P-S, like mm -hmm, Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. It's their own Millennial Corps. And what that is, is that IBM allowed these millennials to voluntarily 
create their own culture and their own little group. And it's all kind of like online and they have get togethers and stuff, but you have to imagine IBM. Yes, they are totally that corporate entity where the old white haired, you know, and, and experienced C-level executives with the black suits. And that's just their culture, right? Well, they have realized that they need to listen to their own workforce. And you got to imagine they are in 61 different countries and they have over 100,000 employees plus all over throughout these countries. And so it's a very hard way to manage how do we listen to our own people? Because, why, well, why would you want to listen to your own people in your company with that? Well, size? of course it makes sense because they're the people on the ground floor. They're the people that are face-to-face, kneecap-to-kneecap with the customer. And so that's where you're going to get the front line and they're going to tell you what's really happening in the trenches versus trying to see the world through numbers and charts and stats. You know, I mean, that does help and data, data doesn't lie, but there, you know, it's just, you can, you can be in today's world, businesses are so flat and so flexible and so responsive and constantly innovating with technology. You have to have as few steps as possible between direct customer feedback and, you know, the CC level executives. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the funny thing is everyone's like, I don't know how to market to millennials. Well, well, IBM obviously has a bunch of millennials. They created their own core. And so why don't you ask them what they want? And so that's what's happened is that all these millennials have come together and there's over 5,000 members worldwide and they talk online, they get, they get together and they talk about ideas of that they can present to IBM. So C-suite executives actually speak to the other representatives of this millennial core. So we have these millennials who represent the, the entirety of this group who have thought of all these ideas and they come together with their group. They present these ideas to the, to the executives and the executives decide to listen. And based off what the feedback is, they say, that's a brilliant idea. Let's go with it. So you might have heard of this thing called Watson. Yes. Oh, Watson. There's was it Wendy? Is it Wendy and Watson? Or no, that's Wendy and Wade. Watson. No, Watson's different. Watson's is IBM's AI. AI. Wendy and Wayne is something else. That's AI that helps with HR hiring and anyway. Sorry, the two different things. But Watson is IBM's <laughs> AI, right? Right. Yes, it is. It's kind of like Siri or Google in that sense. And they, the millennial core that Watson was already created with some help with millennials. But what they said is like, why don't you have Watson get feedback, real time feedback from people through Twitter, social media on a certain project. And then the project changes based off the feedback. And so IBM said, that's a brilliant idea. So basically, we're crowdsourcing product, products that IBM's going to create. And I mean, like crowdsourcing is really the future of a lot of things. And so what happened is that they said, OK, let's do this in the fashion industry. What? IBM in the fashion industry? <laughs> Absolutely. So they chose this wonderful high-end fashion um, industry and uh, company in England. And they said, OK, we're going to create this amazing dress for like a red carpet event. So what happened is that people started tweeting, they started putting their input, Millennial Core got involved, and they started creating this dress based off the feedback. Now, based off the feedback, real-time feedback, they they said that they wanted to have lights in this dress. So they actually put like LED lights into this dress. And then they said, what color do you want the lights? And based off of what everybody said, they changed the color of the lights on the dress based on the real-time feedback. So it went from blue to red to green, like it changed colors based on what people wanted. So now we're getting real-time products based off of 
this millennial cores idea. And IBM has revolutionized that idea and they're taking it to all sorts of different departments. And companies are catching on this. They need to really key in on who is working for them and what target market are they going after. Ask the people in your own company. You have the resources right there. You don't need to make this huge budget for marketing research if you're a large company. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, just take advantage of the resources you already have. I mean, it's just about doing more with less. And I love the focus on listening, listening to the people that are actively engaged and involved. I think that makes a ton of sense. So now, what was the best advice you ever got that's helped you in dealing, helping these companies? Really to just remain authentic. You get in front of these huge, you know, C-suite executives, and it can be pretty intimidating, especially when you're 29, you're a woman, you're, you've only been in business X amount of years, you only have this amount of experience, you know, there's all those, those deficits that these, you know, in, in an idea is these older white hair executives. And so, um, yeah, I've gotten so much bad advice, you know, be this, be that when you get in front of these people, because they're looking for this, they're looking for that. And, you know, I just say F that. I am just going to be me and I'm going to be authentic because no one's going to purchase a high ticket program or your consulting services or whatever it is based off of a lie. That kind of marketing is out the window. It is gone. It is down that train. People buy into you. They don't necessarily buy your service or product as long as it helps them. And so I just remain authentic. And when I was in roofing, I was told not to be authentic because it's a very sleazy world. You'd be surprised. And um, so I would knock on doors and I would pretend to be someone else. And the thing is, is that people are not stupid. They know when you're not being you. And if you, if they find out later, you weren't being you, they're going to be upset. And so why would you want to work with anybody else rather than yourself? And so authenticity is really important. And I know that word has been um, thrown around a lot recently, especially, but it is extremely valuable because, you know, people want to know they're working with you and not with the idea mm-hmm, of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I've said that for years. You couldn't walk around all day on your tiptoes. So why pretend, Ooh. you know, why, why, yes. why be so uncomfortable? Be you and, you know, just be honest and you know what, you'll have a better clientele. And, uh, you know, I think if anyone, maybe in the beginning, I mean, even Warren Buffett was saying that he wouldn't, he would turn down a deal no matter how lucrative it looked if they didn't feel good about the people he's doing business with. And I think it's, you know, Mm -hmm. unless you're in a space where you're not covering your, you know, your day-to-day existence, those are ones where you'll compromise on that. But in the long run, you may regret it and just wish you had held it a little bit longer, you know, for something that was better suited for you. And I think that's so important. People, quality of life is everything. You know, money only matters up to a point, you know, generally speaking. I think they did a study. So Oprah said something. She said, when somebody tells you more money won't make you happy, they've never driven, flown in a private jet, which may or may not be true. But uh, I know in Canada, at least, McLean's did a study and they found that money does buy happiness up to about six figures a year. Because at six figures a year, you have the boat that you want, you have any toys that you want, you go on whatever vacations you want, you're saving money, you live in, a, you know, where you want to live, you drive kind of what you want to drive, you know, like you can budget and make anything work with that, with that figure. And so up to about then, and, and that, and for some people that might sound like a lot of money, but in the business world, it's really not, it's really not. If you're serving people and if you're not doing six figures, there's some better ways to do it. And you really need to plug into either myself or someone like Anastasia to help you get a Above that because otherwise it's just you're, you're there's something wrong either with your business model or who you're targeting because it hits six figures and even to hit seven figures is not necessarily that big of an aim 
in the business world because you're serving people and there are billions of people on this planet, you know, so why aren't you able to reach more of them? So I think that that's really valuable and just being authentic, being yourself and then just accepting clients that you want to work with, you know, like, again, it's about designing your life. You're going to spend more time at work than you are going to spend sleeping. You're going to spend with your significant other. You're going to spend with your friends, with your hobby. So you better enjoy what you do and you better enjoy the people you do it with. Otherwise, why? Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I think one of my most recent mentors, he's actually in my book as well. His name is Kevin Knebel. He is this, I mean, he's this guy who makes hundreds of thousands of dollars and he's totally in that six figure, you know, category where he's very happy. He doesn't want to, you know, necessarily be a millionaire, but he's $30,000 for a one hour speech. Okay. So this is a guy that really gets up there in the corporate world and all that jazz. And he talks about LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, he talks about LinkedIn and Twitter, but he doesn't focus on the fact that I'm going to show you how to sell on Twitter and LinkedIn. No, no, no. He talks about how you can get what you want by building relationships mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and how you can leverage LinkedIn and Twitter to do that. So one of the best things he's ever, I've ever heard came from him where he said, if you're in business, you're not just in business, you're in the relationship business. And so if you cannot create relationships based off of who you are and your authentic you, then you're not going to be successful. Mm, mm, mm. And I think that's very true. And um, because, you know, as he puts it, he says, you uh, must create, condition, and nurture your relationships. And if you don't do that, then that means that you're not really caring about people and people won't do business with people they don't mm -hmm. care about. Yeah. All things considered equal, people want to do business with their friends. All things not so equal, people still prefer to do business with their friends. And so Drayton Bird said it great. Drayton Bird is an old school copywriter out of, the, out of London. He's been a guest on our show. Anyone may want to consider listening to that interview because he's got a ton of great tips. He's had the number one best-selling uh, best marketing book in the UK for 35 years. But he said the purpose of business is to locate a prospect, to turn that prospect into a customer, and to make that customer your friend. And I think that's just an mm -hmm. eloquent way to say exactly the same thing, that exactly like you said, it, where it's about relationships. Again, again, in this world, you can say, I mean, anybody with an internet connection potentially is your competitor, you know, anywhere in the planet. I can hire someone in China. I can hire someone in Bangladesh. I can hire someone in Latin America. So why would I do business with you? Well, because we connect and we resonate on some level and, you know, we get along and we're friends. And so I think that's really, really powerful. It's about meeting people and establishing relationships. Um because we're social creatures as well. So, so Anastasia, what do you see as the future trend of your industry? Where do you see this going? Well, right now, I know it is lit on fire. It is going fast. Mm. <laughs> there are companies doing what I do and with my boomer friend as well that are popping up almost on a daily basis. And so knowing that these books and, and everything is coming out is really getting me to understand that companies are taking notice that this has to start happening. We have to really start to tap into our workforce and understand who they are because they are essentially connected to our customers and that will drive our success. And we need to treat people like people and not like machines. And um, so I believe that this industry is really going to start kicking off more and more subjects, more and more challenges as well, and um, more and more interesting things to, that are going to require consultants like myself to come in. And it's not just going to happen in the United States and Canada. It's starting to happen all over the world, especially in Europe, Australia, and it's definitely starting to kick up more and more in Asia. And so I see this being an international thing rather than just localized. Mm. 
So well said. I think that's really valid and very, very true. And don't be afraid of the competitors by any means, because the competitors are they're proof that there's money in that market. Like you said, they're proof. It was proof to you. I just love that you even mentioned that because some people when they hear about competition in that, like, oh, I need to go somewhere. There's nobody. No, that's wrong. It means that the, the tide is rising. And when the tide rises, all the boats rise. So it means you need to you need to dig deep. You need to even like you even need to build relationships with some of your competitors and find ways to support each other because you'll find that they'll be you'll serve the same need, the same market in different slices different ways and there may be ways you can hand off and share business together so it's just proof that there's more money to be had and like you said that it's a growing industry so hats off to you you're doing a lot of things right i think it, your mission's fantastic and i think that thank you well i can just tell from your energy and the door-to-door sales i don't know if anyone caught that at the beginning I, i've got a kind of a tribe that listens to my calls on a regular basis and i don't know if you guys noticed but that's a key element to being able to be a, like or it's a common thread we'll say to people that are willing to go out there and make things happen in the world. Having doors slammed in your face is really humbling and it teaches you a lot about business and people. And it teaches you a lot about trying to appeal to people's interests and not, and, and think and come from what they want and need versus what you want and need. So I don't know if you knew that or not, but some of the most successful marketers and copywriters and business people in the world started off with door-to-door sales. Yeah, I believe Robert Kiyosaki was one of them. Yeah, Robert Kiyosaki did do that. And a ton of other guys that founded a lot of huge companies like the Book Book of the Month Club and some major, major businesses that have just really been huge pillars as far as in the history of the business world. So now, Anastasia, is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't asked you? Um, I think you pretty much covered a lot. Um, we kind of went a, a little all over the place, which I believe was very helpful for your audience. You know, let's kind of go back a little bit to, you were talking a lot about building the relationships and all those things. And we're really in building that foundation of trust. And it all, all of that comes back to, you can't really go and build relationships if you don't know who you are. And because then people don't know who you are and it's okay in the beginning to not know that. But to identify that I'm not really sure what I want in life, I'm not really sure where I want to go and what is my purpose, but to have that identifying factor is the first step. And then moving into a space of I'm going to figure it out, and then the space of I have figured it out, and I'm going to continue to grow in that thought. And you'd be surprised that once you start to identify and grow, people will begin to be attracted to you, people will want to buy from you, people want to do business with you. Because you are you are unleashing your authentic self. And what that means is when you're unleashing into your authentic self, your purpose comes along with you. And that purpose has a big message and project to accomplish and give to the world. And I got to tell you, if you're hesitant to jump into something, to begin something, to pick up the phone, to understand that the world has been waiting for you to jump into your authentic self. Because they want that mission, they want that mission, they want that message and that purpose to come out and serve them and those around them. And you've been holding back. So in all essence, you have been, you know, disservicing yourself and the world and the world is waiting for you. And people become afraid to jump into their authentic selves because they're afraid the world will reject them. Mm. But in all reality, you will only attract those who want you. Yep. And that's so well said. And, and if anyone doubts what Anastasia just said, has anybody seen a misshapen cloud? Has anybody seen a wave that was poorly formed? 
Like, they just doesn't exist. So there can't really be any accidents. They say that there can't really be any accidents because this world and everything is so fragile, so delicate, that everything that had to happen exactly has as it had to happen for life to exist and for you to get to this moment where you are today. So if you've never seen a poorly shaped cloud or a wave that was poorly formed, then you have to assume that you were shaped just the way you need to be and you're not broken in any way, shape, or form. That good and bad are part of the same parcel and you can't have one without the other. Otherwise, everything would be gray and flat and tasteless and so you need that in order to have a fulfilling life and struggle and challenge is what forces you to grow and so it kind of makes the story interesting I Alan Watts is a philosopher I'm a big fan of and he has this great talk called the dream of life and he says imagine you could dream any dream you wanted to dream or every imagine every time you went to bed and you slept you dreamt 75 years of life or however many years of life that you wanted to dream and in the beginning, when you first discovered this power, you would dream, you know, these lives of imaginable pleasure. You'd be a boy, you'd be a girl, like all these things. And you'd have all, every, everything, do everything you could want to do, all the excitement, all the most amazing, wonderful stuff. And after a few months of dreaming 75 years of life every night, end on end on end, you'd eventually get bored with it. And so then you'd want some risk. You'd want some gambles to happen, right? You want some adventure. You'd want to not know what the outcome was going to be. And eventually at some point, you would want to not know that you were dreaming. You would want to have a dream and be so engaged in the process that you weren't even aware that it was a dream and you were going to come out okay on the other end. And so it's possible in the infinite possibility of the world that we live in that you could dream the life you're living today. So don't, no one here listening to this call, you're not broken, you're fine just the way you are. Your flaws are there to challenge you to become greater than you are because that's the, that's the name of the game. It's carrot stick and you know it's pain pleasure. And the, the negative that we call negative is there to actually push us to become greater, bigger, better, stronger, faster, smarter than we are. So I think what you said was very eloquent. And I think that's a great message to leave people with. Anastasia, you've been so forthcoming with this, very candid and honest and sincere. I want everyone that's listening to this, if any of this has resonated with you, definitely go check out her book, New Job, New Life, The Millennials Take Charge, Plan for Success. And if they want to follow you, Anastasia, how do they get in touch? Well, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can search for the hashtag millennial girl and or I am a millennial and therefore I am a social junkie on Facebook. <laughs> and so you, and the cool thing is I'm the only Anastasia button on Facebook. That's pretty cool. So I'm very easy to find and I am more than happy to connect with you on a personal basis on my personal page and have that conversation with you on how to unleash your authentic self and really get results. That's awesome. So that's hashtag M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L-G-I-R-L, Millennial Girl, or look up Anastasia Button on any social media platform and just say hello and let her know that it was from this interview. So Anastasia, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you coming and sharing with us and helping us all grow, and I wish you much success. Thank you. This was so much fun. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give to them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better. 
and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.